Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to give a special shout out to Rolling Sands BJJ Retreat. This is a jiu-jitsu retreat um, being held here in the Coromandel um, in beautiful New Zealand over summer and the organizer Cam Jones has gone out of his way to put together an amazing week-long package that includes uh, jiu-jitsu twice a day uh, with guest instructors, uh, hiking trips, kayaking, um, barbecues, uh, all-included accommodation and food, beach trips, surfing uh, lessons. This is something that is really awesome and unique and super inclusive within New Zealand. Um, Obviously, as uh, COVID subsides um, and this opens up, um, Cam and the Rolling Sands team are looking at inviting international um, guest instructors um, and, you know, slowly expanding this camp into something um, more international. Um, the summer camp has been sold out. Um, that's going to be running over January now. However, um, they have just launched their um, Easter camp. So if this is something that you're keen on, you know, an awesome retreat full of jujitsu and activities and adventure related things, um, it's something I really recommend that you check out. You can find Rolling Sands on Instagram at Rolling Sands NZ. Or you can visit their website at rollingsands.co.nz. I really recommend that you check them out, guys. This is something that New Zealand, um, especially as such a beautiful location, um, you know, that attracts so many people from around the world, uh, for our scenery has been missing. Um, It's going to be an amazing and really, really unique opportunity. So if you haven't been involved in a retreat or a jiu-jitsu camp like this before i would check it out i'd highly recommend it without any further ado let's get into today's episode in today's episode i wanted to explore the idea of inquiry-based learning and how this relates to um, jiu-jitsu or grappling um, as a wider discipline Um, some of you might be familiar with the concept of inquiry-based learning, also known as uh, the circle of inquiry or the cycle of inquiry. Um, and for those of you who aren't, my goal uh, with today's podcast is to help you to understand a system which, when you put in place, can help you to implement a strategy um, or approach to your learning that uh, you can put in place and you can direct within your within your jiu-jitsu or your grappling progression Um, that will essentially have a larger benefit to how you approach and how you improve your game. So what is the circle of inquiry or inquiry-based learning? Inquiry-based learning is the concept of self-directed learning. Um, For most people, this is something that you aren't really um, equipped to do unless you've been coached through or in fact directly been shown how to do the system it requires uh, careful thought and planning um, it requires research synthesizing knowledge and then revisiting your initial hypothesis or question to test 
uh, essentially if, if you've been successful in achieving it or finding an answer or not. The circle um, of inquiry refers to the pretty much never-ending cycle that the learning as inquiry process takes the form of. Um, this circle, and if you can imagine, it starts at the top with this idea of a, cent a central critical question that you're seeking to answer. It then moves on to um, a research and information phase. It then moves on to a knowledge and synthesizing phase, um, an action phase, and then on to a results phase. So I'm going to be discussing each of those phases of inquiry-based learning in today's episode. Um, if you go online, uh, there are so many resources around this, and I really recommend that you do if this is something you would like to do. Not all of us have um, access to pre-eminent coaches who are able to direct our learning. Um, some of us are essentially rote learning our jiu-jitsu from instructors who aren't maybe as well equipped to uh, teach you in the way that you prefer. What I find is when I equip um, my students, and this is just in a secondary school context, but you can do this in um, the gym on the mats as well, and I try to do this with my students there too. But it allows the student and the learner to take direct control and ownership of their own learning and to direct their learning in a way uh, that they want to that is relevant to them because they are the one that is developing the question that directs their learning. Um, by doing this, essentially, you are uh, innately teaching them critical thinking skills. They have to employ those as they engage with research and as they engage with testing and action. So it's really an effective tool that um, I wouldn't really still be teaching without, to be honest. So let's get into it. The first stage is um, the essential questioning stage. Essentially, um, if we want to be scientific, this is the hypothesis stage where you as the learner are going to pose a question. Okay, so if we're talking about a grappling context, which I, I will from this point on, um, this is the idea that I'm sitting down and I'm going, well, um, you know, I want to get better at um, my back attack game. Okay, I want to get better at my rear naked choke strangle. So let's phrase that as a question, um, which is what I would do. So um, how can I improve my rear naked choke? Okay, that is a perfect question to start as an inquiry. Okay, how, how can I improve my rear naked choke? From there, um, I need to go forward, right? Um, at this stage, I might not even know what's wrong with my rear naked choke. I might just know that, hey, I'm not really finishing this move very much in training. Um, you know, I don't find myself getting to the back. Um, and, and when I do, I'm losing control. Um, you know, I might even lock in a rear naked choke, but the guy's not tapping. And then I gas my arms, or, you know, any level of problems, right? In fact, I could even be really good at that move already but just want to be better at it, right? So you can pitch this to whatever proficiency level you are at with your jiu-jitsu. From that first essential questioning stage, that is going to be directing the trajectory of your whole inquiry, okay? Um, 
the term inquiry obviously comes from the fact that we are now looking into something all right we are about to like uh, delve deep into this thing and we need to be able to find new ways to answer this question I'm going to assume that I don't really know much at this point um, you know that's the idea of the principle of charity we're going to assume that everybody knows more than us so we need to go to everybody else to find answers the next phase um, and this is this is actually the most time-consuming phase right and it takes the most effort to do well you can do it with minimal effort and get minimal results what a surprise but um, if you really want to get good results out of your inquiry you have to engage with this next phase and that is information engaging with information um, we can refer to this as research but essentially you might be gathering information from a whole different bunch of sources you're you're looking at what we call the claims phase I might um, ask I might pose that question to my coach hey how can I improve my rear naked choke he might have some pointers there might be some higher belts in the gym that I ask and they might have some pointers someone might have uh, some suggestions of things I should go and watch I might pick up a DVD I might go onto YouTube yes it is actually a reliable source um, for your jujitsu technique anyway uh, maybe not for your conspiracy theories um, anyway I think you need to search widely in this stage. You have to look at everything that everyone is doing. You might look at some high-level competitors with really good rear naked choke setups. Um, I might go look at what the highest level of uh, strategy looks like. <clears throat> you know, I phrased my question around the rear naked choke, which happens to be a high percentage submission even at the highest levels of competition, uh, ADCC. Um, we see the percentage of rear naked chokes even at that level of nogi um, being a highly a high percentage use move but i might realize even in my research that that the technique that i decided to explore might not be and that further feeds into later stages right so i look at three or four dvds I engage with like let's say a good 20-25 hours of content around rear naked chokes. I take a heap of notes, advice I take on board. I'm using all of this information to inform my understanding of my question. That's the important part of this information and claims phase. That's phase two. Phase three is where I start to look at evidence and data and knowledge, right? So in this third phase I'm now taking the information that I engaged with and I'm synthesizing it with my own understanding so I'm now taking what I learned uh, in those 25 hours of research and I'm going to put that time back in on the mat now where I go okay well I'm going to completely throw everything else out of the basket that I thought I knew I'm going to be only trying to finish rear naked chokes for the next like three weeks or whatever. You know, the larger your data set, the better. Um, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do it that way, but you should be thinking about that in your training. You know, maybe you're structuring your training a certain way, like, uh, you know, I you might have uh, six hours of drilling in a week. In that six hours, you're dedicating at least 
half if not more of that time to a certain back take and your rear naked choke finishes so i'm now synthesizing the knowledge from that research period and putting it into my training um i'm creating a large database that i can then analyze and i can go okay great well um i'm seeing that it's working more like i'm being more successful with it in my training like um, i'm hitting it more regularly when i'm rolling against these people who i couldn't before um, and this is not about like marking up wins against your training partners, right? I think that that's one of the least productive things that you can be doing with your training. I'm not going, hell yeah, I beat my training partner. Like that's a big win. Like ugh, six more wins and I'll get a stripe. Like just get over yourself. You know, this isn't tic-tac-toe. Um, it's about going, hey, objectively before when I was training, before I looked at this research, before I put these things into my game, I was not able to finish X training partner with this submission. However, now, anytime I'm finding this happening, I'm being more successful with it against the same guy. That is objectively good feedback for you to work on. I'm not doing some kind of ego trip. I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to be the best guy. I'm just trying to improve my technique, okay? That's essentially uh, the approach here if you want to stay objective and on this inquiry phase once I have a wide enough data set um, and I've kind of al analyzed how well it's going for myself I've synthesized the knowledge from that research period um, I slowly move into that action phase where I might now start using that in competition um, and I might action the changes that I've made and that synthesis of knowledge in a competition setting or in harder roles or um, you know using it as now a staple of my game that is really important it's important that you're able to do that to test your data to see how well you've synthesized this knowledge and you might actually shift back and forth between those two phases for quite a while between the knowledge and action phase um, once you've done that you move more towards the results you look back at your inquiry, you look back at the research that you've done, you look back at the hours of training that you did and synthesizing that knowledge um, and how you put it into practice and you're starting to assess how well did I do? Did I take on all of the knowledge that uh, was imparted to me in that research stage? Did I synthesize it effectively and then did it work well in competition? You know. I think that framing an inquiry around a competition, uh, you know, with like six weeks in, in terms of a time period is such a, real, a realistic and good training model to do. Um, you know, it's not necessarily something that I always do, um, like especially when I'm competing regularly um, and you're just trying to hone your, your A game. But when I start to move away from um, a, like windows of back-to-back -back competition, this is definitely something that I try to do on a regular basis. So like now over the next six weeks of summer where there's not really a lot of competition here in New Zealand, um, I would be sitting and looking at my game and going, okay, well, what kind of critical questions do I need to ask? And then go phase by phase through, do research, look at guys that are doing the things that I want to do well, synthesizing that knowledge, actioning that in my game and then looking at the results and assessing that and then essentially coming back to the question again to see if I've been able to improve um, and you know that kind of completes the whole circle there and you 
you never really get to the end of the cycle because out of every inquiry comes more questions to ask, right? So I might get to that result stage, which is the final phase of the inquiry cycle. And I might go, well, yeah, you know, I did pretty good research there. However, there was this one guy that I didn't look at who's got really good rear naked chokes. So now I need to go back through, look at his stuff and then synthesize that back into my technique and see if I can incorporate it into my game um, and what changes that will make to my question. So you don't have to keep uh, bottlenecking yourself into one question, obviously. As long as you complete that cycle, you could just go, okay, cool. Well, that was a productive inquiry um, into my jujitsu. You know, like I learned some stuff, like maybe my rear naked choke game got better, uh, my back control got better as a result. Now I'm interested in looking at something else, like uh, triangles or uh, rear naked, uh, uh, das choke. Sorry, we already done rear nakers. Um, so you can direct it anywhere that you want to go. You just have to have the prescience to go, hey, I've assessed my game and this is a hole that I found or this is something that I actually already do quite well but I feel like I could do it better right like uh, it, it never ends um, you know some of my best uh, learning has been coming out of a competition like hey how did that thing happen like um, you know I noticed that I got my back taken uh, how can I now avoid that from happening again what do I need to put into my game to stop that from happening? There's my question. And then I just go through phase by phase by phase, do my research, synthesize that knowledge, put it into my game, get a large data set, assess the evidence, find results. And then I start again with the next thing. And I might take it into competition. Hopefully, if, the, if my inquiry and my learning has been good, um, I mean, especially with New Zealand being a smaller uh, competitive scene, I might even get to fight the same guy again and see if I've improved or to see if I can change my strategy in a way that I can now be successful against the same person who I might have lost against or not. Um, and I know personally for me, that's the kind of thing that I, the mentality that I look to uh, employ mainly in competition. Um, I, I am a competitive person, of course. I think... Um, I don't want to say everybody is, but I think that everybody should be, if they are looking to compete, go in aiming to win. Um, I I think you should aim to win, but also you should look to be assessing yourself afterwards, not like, oh yeah, well, I, I beat everybody, so therefore I'm good. It's like, yes, you might have beaten everybody, but what mistakes did you make or what parts of your game could you improve for next time, you know? Um, you can always do that you know you should be objectively assessing your game and critiquing yourself um, after every competition if you're competing if you're not competing you can still do this cycle um, the you know the 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 entire uh, learning as inquiry model can be phrased around any interest that you have not necessarily just grappling we're just doing that because this is this is what the context of the podcast, but you could do it with literally any phase of your life. If you're doing art, you can do the same thing. Like, Hey, maybe I can't draw hands that well. Like, um, you know, how can I improve drawing my hands or, 
you know literally whatever you can apply this to um it's one of the one of the gems of um education that i i was fortunate enough to kind of pick up on when i was going through teachers college and i know for um the most part i have a lot of questions um with people asking me how they can kind of fast track their learning um, when it comes to grappling of course no one just goes from white belt to black belt overnight um, you don't just master these things instantly and it takes a long long time even in the shortest standards with the most talented people um, it, it takes a while for you to be able to understand these things and it takes a lot of effort not just physical but mental as well you have to be applying yourself mentally on the mats um, the amount of times where I just see people who physically check into the gym and then mentally check out, um, you know, it, it, it's not productive for your learning. This is not like a fitness class. I mean, you one of your goals from jujitsu could be fitness, and that is totally admirable and understandable. But if you're just coming to jujitsu to get fit, you can't expect to just become like a master in any short period of time. If you're just coming to jiu-jitsu physically every day, um, but you know you're still yet to get get through the warm up correctly, like you can't shrimp properly and break fall and uh, even do the line drills correctly, you need to apply yourself mentally to get those techniques down and pay attention to that. If if you're rolling and you just feel like oh you know I'm kind of just going through random things well maybe streamline your game maybe plan out how you want to approach a role with someone you know um, all of these things kind of lead into more directed ways in which you can learn and apply learning to your jiu-jitsu because that's that's the main reason like I've I, I still stick at this thing is because I know I'm not that great like um, I'm not an ex exceptionally uh, physically talented person but I've just had to persist really. Like when I, when I first started jujitsu, I was like 130 kgs. Uh, so what's that? Like 260 pounds. I was super out of shape. Um, I'd been like powerlifting for years. Um, my hips were just like literally moved in one direction and one direction only. I had zero cardio at all. So, um, all I, all I knew was uh, to kind of like work on my back and try and get my guard to work and that took ages I got smashed and dars choked and everything like for years until I figured out hey like you know I have to try and uh, develop strategy like here's a butterfly guard okay well what kind of sweeps can I build from that how can I retain my guard and um, it was those questions that kind of triggered me to direct my training towards those things so inadvertently um, and I guess maybe just because I'm a curious person I was actually going through the inquiry circle um, every role that you have becomes a piece of data and evidence that you can use to inform your inquiry as long as you're doing things uh, consciously you know if you're just rolling with someone and just throwing random shit out there you're not really going to be getting that much out of that role uh, you need to be going in there and trying specific techniques. You need to be doing actual jujitsu and not just kind of like randomly flailing about. Um, like, sure, if you're right, brand new as a beginner, even then you should be asking questions or 
doing the move that you just drilled in class in a roll. You should be trying that at least. So there's really no excuse to be going into your training undirected. That would be like going into the classroom and then just uh, physically being there but mentally turning off, not taking any notes, not listening to your teacher. Why would you do that on the mats if you don't do that in a classroom context, right? I mean, that's how you get bad grades. If you don't want to improve in jiu-jitsu, then just don't listen. Uh, show up physically, do a class, and then go home and not think about it at all. That's a surefire way to not improve. But I'm assuming if you're listening to this, it's because you want to improve. So I encourage you to try this or uh, to do some research about the circle of inquiry and inquiry-based learning. Um, having I use this strategy on a daily basis myself with my own training so I can attest to its uh, use and its utility for your training but you will have an immense sense of satisfaction taking your training to another level of learning and you know uh, I guess in terms of goal setting it, it's it's hugely important too right because it teaches you what you should objectively be doing with your training you should not be setting goals for yourself like by the end of this year I want to get my X belt um, because there's a lot of factors there that are out of your control um, you know even even setting goals around competition I think you have to be a little bit more um, conscious of you know if I go into a competition and I go oh well you know I want to get gold I want to I want to be first I want to submit everyone um, I think that the, that's not a very smart goal to set for yourself because it's too, th there's too many other things that could actually occur, right? Like the, the, the capacity for disappointment and failure when you set a goal that is that specific is, um, is almost guaranteed to set you up for failure, right? So be more specific when you go into your learning and, uh, and the goal setting that you do. You know, I want to improve my rear naked choke this year. I want to improve my leg locks this year. Um, I want to make my guard better this year. Those are smart goals. Um, and I mean smart in the like intelligence sense, but also in the terms of SMART goal setting, which if you don't know about, you should go and look up. I guess that's probably fuel for another episode. But they should be specific, measurable, um, accurate, uh, and then I forget what the other two are, but I guess I'll have to revisit that at some point. Be smart with your goal setting, set things that you can measure and don't set yourself up for disappointment. Um, I mean, I never go into a competition. I, I used to going in going, Hey, yeah, I, I want to win, but that's a shit goal. Like I need to go in and go, Hey, um, I want to work on this leg lock entry or, um, I want to work on my guard and you know it informs the strategy that I'm going to take into that competition but it also gives me an immense amount of data and evidence for the inquiry that I'm undertaking to take out and now inform my inquiry and give me more actionable data. I think that that's the most important thing here and if you can start to think about competition or your training in that way um, you're going to be immensely more satisfied and, and happy with uh, what the results that you find rather than, oh, you know, well, I want to win this competition because, well, 
you know, you're playing a numbers game, right? Even if you're the best, um, you still lose. Uh, and then what? You're disappointed and you take nothing else away from that competition. Uh, but if you suddenly lose a match in a in a competition where your goal was, I want to retain guard, and you didn't even pull guard that match, well, that's a huge piece of evidence for you to inform that inquiry with. So just think about it. I, yes, I use a competition context because I compete regularly. Um, you don't have to, you know, this can just be your weekly training. If you train twice or three times a week, that's your evidence. That's your data set that you can work with. It doesn't have to be competition related. Um, it doesn't even have to be jujitsu related. Like I said, I hope that this is something that you can maybe, uh, inform your learning with. Um, I know that since I started to be aware of this, I don't really have that idea of like, oh, I've really hit a plateau. You only really hit plateaus when your learning's not directed in any specific way, right? Like I can always find something to improve with. That's just like the case, right? Cool. So maybe I haven't made much progress with my inquiry into my open guard. Okay, that's all right. Let's just pump the brakes for a little bit. I've got a wide data set and my brain and my body maybe need some time to percolate on that before I can get some actionable intelligence out of that or actionable data out of that. In the meantime, why don't I go to something else? I work my passing for like a week or or two weeks, a month even, a whole year. Hell, uh, you might be doing that. That's fine. The larger your data set, the more evidence that you have to inform your inquiry. So think about it that way. You're going to see better results if you train with direction, if you train with specific goals and questions in mind, and you should be able to ask questions around your instructor. If they can't answer a question for you, the answer should not just be some like kind of bullshit like, oh, well, we don't do that, or like, um, you don't need to know that. You do need to know it. Um, otherwise you wouldn't have asked the question, right? Like, Hey, um, in Nogi, I'm struggling with this move. Um, if your instructor can't go, Hey, well, um, I'm not really too sure how to answer that, but here's some people you should go and have a look at or ask that question to. You're not dealing with a structure who is intellectually, uh, like humble or has intellectual humility as the phrase goes. It's important for us to give the principle of charity and assume that people know things. But when you ask questions and you're immediately shut down or you're not presented with open-minded thinking, then that's not a very good mirror to what you should be engaging with in your learning. If your instructor is not modeling learning themselves in a positive way, it is unlikely that that most students in that room will be um, doing something different. Your teacher, your instructor is your role model and you, you need to be able to be aware of that so that if you're not getting the right thing from them, that you know how to go and find it for yourself. Um, you know, not all of us live in places where there's a ton of good instruction to get. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of open-minded coaches um, who have essentially said these exact things to me. They've gone, hey, well, you know, that's not really my forte. That's not my strength. But I encourage you to go look at X, Y, and Z um, competitor or X, Y, and Z um, video and have a look at how this person does it. See how it goes for you. Bring it back and then let's, uh, let's work on it. 
I think that that has been hugely formative for me, but you don't have to have it. Like that's the whole benefit of this podcast. You don't have to have one of those. You can listen to this and then go and undertake an inquiry yourself without ever having to engage with the specific instructor. It helps. Of course it helps. It helps to have someone supervising and giving you feedback, but it's not necessary. It's just a contingent factor there for you. Anyways, I hope all of this has been super helpful for you. Um, I'm on summer break now, finally. Um, It's been a hell of a year. Um, The last month or so, I haven't really put out many episodes, so sorry for that. Um, But I will be endeavoring to have a couple more up for you um, over your Christmas break, um, coming into January. So I will catch you on the next one. Oh,